Welcome to Transformative Talk, Critical Conversations for Teachers. I'm Dr. Zid Haddad, a professor of instruction within the Department of Interdisciplinary Learning and Teaching at the University of Texas at San Antonio. I teach undergraduate and graduate courses in curriculum and instruction. In short, I teach teachers how to teach and save lives through the use of critical multicultural education as an approach to teaching and learning. Our podcast is produced by a different group of graduate students each week, giving them an opportunity to talk about what they're reading in my class, what they experience in the field, and how that impacts their own lives and understandings. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast from wherever you're listening. Also, you can ask us questions and engage with us further using the Anchor.fm website or the Anchor.fm app on your phone. You can submit questions and you can also send us voice messages. And remember, please share our podcast on all your socials so that we can build our audience. Thanks for listening, and here's today's episode. This is Saul, PhD student at the University of Texas in San Antonio, and today I am your host for this episode of Transformative Talk. In this episode titled, Who Chooses What is Taught? We are going to talk about whether or not all parents get a choice on where their child can receive an education. With me today, I have two very special guests. My first guest is Dr. Anne-Marie Ryan. Dr. Ryan is professor and chair for the Department of Interdisciplinary Learning and Teaching at UTSA. Her focus, her areas of focus are teacher preparation, secondary education, the teaching of history and social studies, and the history of education and curriculum history. Her teaching and research concentrate on the connections between teaching and learning in P-12 schools, communities, and teacher preparation. Within the history of education, she specializes in examining intersections between Catholic schools and public education policy in the United States from the early to mid 20th century. Dr. Ryan has published in top tier journals, including Teachers College Record, the History of Education Quarterly, the Journal of Teacher Education, Review of Research in Education, and the American Journal of Education, and is co-author of the book, The Curriculum Foundation's Reader. Dr. Ryan, welcome. Thank you. Uh, my second guest is Dr. Zed Haddad. Dr. Haddad is an assistant professor of interdisciplinary studies and curriculum and instruction and a member of the Department of Interdisciplinary Learning and Teaching. As a teacher educator, the social justice and social justice advocate, Dr. Haddad's Research interests include understanding the ways we negotiate our many intersecting identities as we encounter new and changing contexts. Prior to joining the faculty at UTSA, Dr. Haddad uh, was a visiting faculty member and doctoral student at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Before pursuing his PhD, Dr. Haddad taught high school social studies and was a student council advisor for five years. At UTSA, Dr. Haddad maintains an ambitious research agenda and provides service within his fields of study at the local and national levels. Dr. Haddad teaches courses at the undergraduate, master's, and doctoral levels. Dr. Haddad, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So I can tell you from experience, both these professors know their stuff and they're a joy to have as instructors. So again, welcome both and thank you for being part of this podcast session. We're pretty excited to be here. All right, so today we are going to start talking 
uh, start our conversations about the topic of parent choice. Uh, right now, that is a huge, huge, huge topic, especially in Texas legislation. Uh, as we know, Texas Ledge um, meets every other year, the biennial, and they meet on the odd number of years. This year being an odd number year, Texas Choice is on the table again. And basically, from what I can tell, legislators and our governor especially are trying to push more and more parents to exercise their school choice privilege. Do you guys feel this is the same thing happening or do you see what I'm seeing? I think so. Yeah, I think that's definitely a, a push that we're seeing um, from the governor's office and from other um, entities. Right? That's a big deal for them is to create these options for parents. Yeah, I think um, it's happening here in Texas and it's happened in many, uh, many states across the country. This is um, not something new. It's something that we've seen time and time again um, in American history uh, or the history of American schooling. Okay, so last week or the week before, the governor of Texas, Governor Greg Abbott, hosted a state of the state, basically letting the selected viewers who were in person and the general public who were watching on television, um, letting them know what his plans are and how Texas is faring so far. And one of his plans or in one of his segments, he talked about school choice and how he's going to help improve schools. So what I'm going to do is go ahead and play a clip from that and we'll talk about what we just heard. We must also protect the freedom and rights of parents who have children in schools. Our tremendous public schools in Texas play an essential role in our state. They educate our future entrepreneurs, scientists, and leaders. We must ensure that our education system works for every child in our state. And thanks to our legislators, per-student funding is at an all-time high. We provided more funding for public education and more funding for teacher pay raises than ever before in the history of the state of Texas. In this session, we will add even more. And importantly, many schools in Texas are excellent in fact, we are number one for national Blue Ribbon schools. And we have one of the best high school graduation rates in America. You know, when I grew up in first Longview and then Duncanville, we were taught the basics, reading and writing, math and science. But most importantly, we were inspired by our country's founding and how it stands apart from the rest of the world as the beacon of liberty and opportunity. The fact is that many children today are not being educated like you and I were. I hear frustrations about that from too many parents. Some are with us here tonight. The Ailey family, they got frustrated watching their child fall behind while she was being forced to learn from home during the time of COVID. Eric Richardson was astonished that his child's teacher would not work with him to address the specific needs of his child. Hillary Hickley, 
was angry that a woke agenda was being forced on her in school. Let's be clear. Our schools are for education, not indoctrination. Schools should not be pushing a woke agenda, period. We must reform curriculum, get kids back to the basics of learning, and we must empower parents. <laughs> parents deserve access to curriculum, to school libraries, and to what their children are being taught. And we will do that with our parental bill of rights. Parents also deserve education freedom. Without that freedom, some parents are hindered in being able to help their child succeed. That must change this year. The, w <laughs> the way to do that is with school choice through state-funded education savings accounts. We've seen them work in other states, and we've also seen them work right here in the state of Texas. I created education savings accounts for special needs students. It worked so well, a bipartisan supermajority passed it into law and are now seeking to increase funding for it. Now what we need to do, we want to expand that program to provide every parent with the ability to choose the best education option for their child. <laughs> to be perfectly clear, under this school choice program, all public schools will be fully funded for every student. This issue is so vital to the future of our state I am making education freedom an emergency item this session. Okay, so you got to hear his agenda. Uh, the way he ended it is he's making it an emergency action item. He is giving parents, he's wanting parents to have more school choice freedom. How do y'all feel about that? Dr. Haddad, let's go with you. Um, I don't know where to begin. I, I wrote down a bunch of different um, notes on my little post-its here. Um, I just want to, I want to point out like his, the, his analogy or the, the story of going back to basics. Like we've heard that before several times throughout history. It's the, it's, we're constantly going between this, having to go back to basics or having to do what's the whole child or doing the, whatever the next thing is. Um, and I think going back to basics is, is, is too basic for where we're going as a, as, in, as a society. Um, we're beyond basics. Students need to go beyond just the basics. So that's, that's, that's the first thing that I noticed that um, I thought was, was interesting to point, to point out. Uh, yeah, I'll pick up with um, with that notion that um, it is very reminiscent of many different eras where we've had this um, uh, politicians calling for a back to basics approach. 
Um, and it's clearly uh, focuses on, you know, the reading, writing, and arithmetic, um, the three R's, even though arithmetic obviously begins with an A. Um, but is that notion that if we can just keep education simple, then we can kind of stay out of the 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 muck and the mire of um, thinking too um, hard about these difficult topics. Um, and it tends to coalesce around issues of um, race, social class, things that are gender, you know, when we get into these tough times uh, where we have differences of opinion around um, who um, should, who belongs um, in school. Um, and historically, you can kind of see where these things start to stack up. Um, but what comes to mind pretty quickly is when we look at the Reagan era, and you, we all kind of recall in the Reagan era, it's very reminiscent of this time, actually, mm -hmm. um, that he was really hearkening back to the good old days. Uh, but the good old days are, are always subject to for who, um, good for who. Um, let's go back to a simpler time, but simpler um, in what sense? The difference here is that these movements aren't happening at the national level, they're happening at the state level. And states are who are in charge of education versus the federal level. And so those are different levers that they push. Um, and, but here in Texas, this conversation was kind of kicked off by the governor, but we have a lot of different folks who are saying, wait a minute, we have really, big concerns about the implications that this conversation has and the policies that might roll out from this. And I think one of the big um, groups out there that is, is saying, we need a big broader conversation about this is Raise Your Hand Texas, for example, who's saying this could be devastating for our public schools, depending on where this goes. Now, this is a uh, what the governor was saying is a the beginning of a conversation because legislation takes a long time to be made. As we all know, um, there's a lot of back and forth here. A lot of people who have to have their say. Uh, us on this podcast being a very small number of people who have anything to say. Um, but, um, and I think that what the governor said is correct, that there's a lot of states who now have these savings accounts um, you know, even um, states like Illinois have these things um, with large groups of people like um, who go to uh, uh, schools like Catholic schools, for example, and they use these savings accounts to attend these kinds of things. And they're structured in lots of different ways, too. So these are really complex policy conversations uh, that come out in very simplistic ways when they're put into speeches like this. But there's a lot happening on the ground. So um, I'll stop there, but I think, you know, that that um, particular speech is, there's a lot going on behind that speech, but um, those are kind of the, you know, the things that I'm thinking about off the top of my head. No, I mean, and I'm, I'm glad you, you, you hit that and you 
mention that it is a very complex, you know, ordeal for it to actually take place. Um, he did talk about the the savings accounts, and you know, we did hear this in in class and listening to this a third time and a fourth time, you know, it it, it baffles me that when he and we talked about this too. But when he says, oh, yeah, we have savings accounts and we we did this with special ed students and we had a uh, massive, huge bipartisan agreement. Well, you're singling specific students, special ed students. So mm -hmm. you're going to get you're going to get that drawing. You're going to get that that that. Yeah, let me let me sign my name on, on to and I'll support that. But when you're talking about every single student, now we're starting to now we're starting to play with fire you know, to put it in those terms. Um, he mentioned that the state of Texas now has more funding per student. The problem with what he just said is as a public school teacher, I see in my campus, our enrollment numbers are not where they were pre-COVID, mm -hmm. right? And that's, that's public school everywhere. The enrollment is just down in public school. Uh, parents are still afraid. So they're going to the online route. Um, you know, charter schools have hyped up their marketing skills and they have pulled in people there. So when he says, Texas, we are funding more money for students. Well, every student, yes. But when students are not enrolling in public schools, public school funding is down. Mm -hmm. So there, he can say that, yes. But then think about, you know, how schools get funded. And that's by having a specific number or having a number of students, you know, enrolled in that campus. Um, he mentioned the savings account. So there are three proposed bills uh, that have been written, one from the Senate and two from the Texas House. The first one is Senate Bill 176. This one is that education savings account that we were talking about. This was for parents that they are going to have the option to opt out of public school and they will pay for private or online schooling up to $10,000 per year. So when that child is unenrolled, withdrawn from public school, that money will go and follow that child wherever that child decides to go uh, based on their parents' choice for education. Um, House Bill 619, this one is going to give individuals tax credits uh, for those that donate to private school scholarships. So they might not have children who go to private schools or maybe they were a product of a private school and because they want to donate to private schools, we're gonna go ahead and incentivize you by giving you a tax break. The last one, which I feel is the most outrageous, um, and this is my own personal opinion, is House Bill 557. Uh, this one is going to reimburse parents 100% for those that pay for private school education out of their own pocket. So what that tells me is we are going to allow parents to make the choice, which they rightfully have, to pay for their child's education in a private school setting. Um, but because you did this, we are going to, we as the state of Texas, are going to cut you a check for the amount that you paid for your child to go to school. 
And where does that money come from? That money came from what was going to go to the public schools. That money is coming from the state of Texas. That money is coming from the taxpayers who have chosen to go to public school. Uh, so it's, it's, it's one of those situations where he's talking about giving parents more choice, uh, having parent bill of rights. Basically, the translation is we are going to want public education to perhaps crumble, you know, um, but we need to go ahead and fund education somewhere else. And we're going to give you the option to do that with private or charter. And, um, you know, here, here's the, here is the reward as a parent who decided to do that. Let me see. And welcome back to this week's transformative talk. I'm Saul, PhD student at UTSA. With me still, thank goodness, is Dr. Anne-Marie Ryan, professor and chair of interdisciplinary learning and teaching UTSA, and Dr. Zed Haddad, assistant professor of interdisciplinary studies and curriculum instruction at UTSA. So when we left, when we left off, Dr. Ryan, you had mentioned that Governor Abbott's speech and the speech that, that is constantly given from leadership in Austin to parents is that it's not going to all parents, that this speech is more towards a certain demographic. And I cannot disagree with what you just said. Um, and here's why. In my course, um, Curriculum Instruction 5003, UTSA, shout out, whoop, whoop, um, we conducted a little activity where I gave five different family dynamics that are uh, represented here in town or anywhere else in the world. These are five common households that are affected by this idea of school choice. What I did was I put numbers one through five on the board and I asked the three groups in my class to, to select any one of those numbers, not knowing what they were selecting. So we had students choose numbers two, this is gonna be important later, numbers two, numbers three, and numbers five. The idea was, and I posed the question as this, when it comes to parents having the right to choose, do all parents have the same rights or opportunities. In your small groups, you'll be given a specific family dynamic. Based on your scenario, what opportunities are afforded to your family for that school choice? So the five choices they had were, number one was a white traditional couple who are Christian. They have two children, and I'm not assigning gender to their children. Just know that their ages are 10 and 13. They are very wealthy, they are Republican, um, and they stay in a two-story home in an affluent neighborhood. Now, this activity also did come with a certain segment or section of the city, uh, and the students were able to see exactly where they lived and where their options for school were, whether it was public school or charter school, so they were able to do a lot of research. Um, we had choice number two. This was one of those that were selected. You had a gay biracial couple, non-denominational, also had two children, adopted Asian uh, kids, ages eight and 10. They're classified as upper middle class. They are democratic. 
supporters. They live in a single-story home in a moderately fair neighborhood. Um, choice number three, which was selected, was a white single mother. She's Christian. She has four children, ages 6, 14, 15, and 17. And it's quick to note that uh, the 17-year-old is a high school dropout. This uh, mother is considered to be poor. She's Republican, and she lives in a mobile home park. Then we had options four and five. Four was not selected. This is a Mexican immigrant couple who are Catholic. They have three children, five, seven, and nine. They are poor. Um, they are no political affiliation, yet they live with family who's been here before or, or has, has roots established in San Antonio, um, and they live in a three-bedroom home. Then the last couple, the last family that was selected was another migrant family. This is the Honduran family. They are Christian, two children, nine and 14, also poor, also no political affiliation. They are living in a two-bedroom apartment. This is uh, supplied through Catholic charities. So selecting, <clears throat> selecting the families was easy. I did not show anything to the students in my class, um, so they just selected a number. It was when I said, okay, here you go. You know your families now. You know their situations. Looking at a map and what you have around you, what options do you currently have that are going to support this school choice? Uh, option that the governor and everybody else is talking about. Do you actually have school choice? So the first group we're going to listen to is group number two. This is the gay biracial couple. Um, and this was their response to the research that they conducted themselves. <laughs> All right, let's, let's, let's talk about your choices. Let's talk about your choices. All right, so number one question. Do y'all all have the same choices? No. Do you have all the same opportunities? No. But according to people at large, you do. Well, they're wrong. Ew. <laughs> so mean. Okay. So when you have the powers that be tell the mass audience, that you have choice. Who are they talking to specifically? Oh, no, no, yeah. They're talking about the people who have the privileged life, right? Hey, what about family two? They can do whatever they want. Well, that's, that's, they're part of the privileged life. Right. I'm privileged. So family one and family two are both privileged because they have two-parent homes, they have income, they have an actual home, right? Uh, families, Three lives in a trailer mobile home. Wait. Family four, which nobody picked, they live with family who's already been established here. So they are our brand new immigrants from Mexico who is a family of five living in a three bedroom house with family who's already been here. Multi generational family. Right? So there's that family. And then you have the Honduran family who just immigrated. Migrated. Migrated, sorry migrated to this country and because of laws you have to go to school okay so what did you find as far as your choices um we kept going back and forth from like three different schools but uh, we felt like we had more 
choices. Okay. Yeah. Why? Because they're more, well, like you said, it's two-parent home. Um, they're upper middle class. So it made it easier okay. to pick, have mm -hmm. options than other groups may have. And they don't like teaching in the morning, so they can take their kids to school anytime they want. Exactly. Talk about myself. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't teachers online? Houseman Elementary School because the two kids are eight and ten, okay. and Houseman has like they do a language program. It has something that I'm really interested in. Mm -hmm. uh, Colonies was really good too. It has the GT program. It has the STEM program, so that would have been nice. And then another option we looked at was the the Anne Frank one, but it was like a charter school, so mm -hmm. we don't really know. I'll tell you what that family would have chosen. Houseman. Because it's dual language. And Houseman does have GT. Is Anne Frank not doing dual language? I don't know, but it's a charter. But they, they teach Hebrew. Yeah, but that's the charter school. <laughs> if I was, I'm just basing that off of as if it was my family. Which clearly I don't have that family right now because, you know, true. She's single. But whatever. So that was funny. So Family Two does have options. They they talked a lot that you know the reason why they have the options is they have the two parent home, they have the funds, they have the means, they have ways to uh, move their child from home to school wherever the school may be. However, they decided what was best for their their kids, and that was public school. They chose Hausman Elementary. Uh, and the husband, and you heard one of the parents say that one of the re one of the things that interest them or, or sparked an interest to go to husband was the fact that they had dual language program. And, you know, I think the fact that they were immersed in a situation that shows the only way that you have choice is if you have the support and you have the means and the privilege to do so. The other two groups who chose the white single mom and the Honduran migrants, they discovered that they don't have a choice. And a lot is because the fact that as a single mom, who is considered poor, she does not have a way to take kids to the various options of either a Catholic private school, uh, multiple charter schools. I mean, the, the list goes on based on what they were able to see, but there, there was no way that these this mom was able to utilize choice in her favor. The Honduran couple, same thing. They just migrated to this country. They don't have jobs. They don't have transportation. It's just them and their family depending on uh, Catholic charities to help them out until they, they have their court date for citizenship or whatever it may be. But there's no opportunities for them. So like you said, Dr. Ryan, 
school choice is great. School choice is something that, you know, according to leaders, is something that parents have. But I think the miscommunication is the fact that we're including the word all because not all parents have that choice. So one of the things that, um, and I've seen this play out just because of my research in the area of um, the intersection between Catholic and public school school policy, right? Um, So that's one sector of the private school um, area. Oftentimes what happens is that these kinds of policies are driven by um, a a group within the larger group, right? So it's not um, a majority of people who want this, but a minority of people who want these kinds of policies to come about. And those particular groups or a particular group, let's say, benefits from it and then there's others that benefit from this um and other people um do not benefit from it and it might even hurt others um because as i said before that the resources are finite as we've been discussing however for example um the let's say the scenario of the single mother with four children, um, let's say scenario where you have a savings plan of up to 10,000 or even the reimbursement plan, those two things just won't, it doesn't matter because of what you're talking about, the limitations of of the transportation. Um especially in the savings plan, because that's just like, if you're already having a hard time making ends meet, that's not going to help you anymore. Cause that's just right. more on top of, right. Mm-hmm. The tax credit scholarship thing has worked in some States because it's other people putting money into the system for their own benefit mm-hmm. to benefit others. So it circumvents the state entirely. And it's, private money going to other private citizens mm-hmm. is a whole interesting workaround. Um, and it's worked in some states. The one about reimbursement comes directly from the state and that is dicier. Um, and that's the one I think that's got people pretty riled up. Um, and so that's something worth really trying to pause and say, wait a minute, that's really taking um, I, is that even sustainable? I mean, that's that's the thing to really start yeah. looking at um, puzzle, in a puzzled way. Um, regardless of that, there are limits to choice. There are limits to how many people, as your scenarios demonstrate, where it really comes down to not necessarily, there are certainly issues around Um, race and gender that complicate this but class and affluence really is where it comes it comes into play correct um uh and so even though like a tax credit scholarship might help me 
if I lived too far away from the school because of, you know, the circumstances that I'm in, mm-hmm. I'm just not going to be able to get there, you know? Right. And, and, and like, I mean, just like you said, it, it all boils down to whether or not you have something right. And in some of these cases for three out of the uh, five scenarios, transportation is one of those things that you're going to need. And if I'm the white single mom and I depend on the public transportation system to take me to and from work, I'm going to depend on public transportation for public schools to take my kids to and from school. Uh, Same thing with the Honduran family. I do not have a car. I'm using the public transit system. And then the migrant family who has family already here. Well, if there's only one car and this family living in the house needs to use it and the other family, you know, missed out on it, that you just don't know. So it is about the have, have nots and the affluence. Yeah. I don't want to underestimate how those, um, how all those different um, elements interact, intersect with one another too, <laughs> you know? So I just wanted to come back to that. Okay. Um, well, <clears throat> I also wanted to mention just real briefly about Venezuela's subtractive schooling. Um, So we read in class the um, article about, or the chapter rather, of subtractive schooling. And what really, really, really struck me was the idea of D and then you can insert a culture. Right. So the the term that was used in Venezuela as she did a study, an ethnographic study in Seguin High School was de-Mexanizing of students. Right. And as a Hispanic male Latino, you know, having to or being in a school system that is going to take that away from me, you know, I don't want that. And I'm pretty sure parents don't want that, too. So besides school choice and what curriculum is being offered. I think the idea of knowing whether or not their child and their culture is going to be respected and perhaps highlighted is also maybe a factor that choice should play a part of. What do you think, Dr. Haddad? Well, I think that's that's a huge piece of it, right? So if if I'm looking for places where my students are going to feel safe and feel honored and I feel like their, their culture and languages are honored, then that's going to play, play into the school choices I make uh, for my kids. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think to your point, if we go back to the last point we were talking about is that that, that's the danger of if if we know that certain particular groups, there's more concentrated poverty, for example, um, and you're trying to, then you make choice available for those people who have more affluence. Now you're starting to see this um, particular groups being isolated and other, you know, people are kind of self-selecting out. And we say, we see the resegregation of, um, this has happened in many cities, right? Where we right. start to see people moving around and kind of <clears throat> reselecting, kind of like, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go here. Right. And we see some schools getting, um, as Valenzuela is talking about it um, in one way, um, schools getting um you know increased demographics in one particular group and or another right right um, and we've seen this happen across the country 
uh, with school choice. Um, and it's, it, it has taken away the promise of the public school. Correct. Now you use the word, the term resegregation. Uh, some brilliant classmates of mine coined the new phrase or the new term neo-segregation because I mean this is a new way of, of segregating. We're going to take the the students who have you know the the come from affluent families and move them to certain schools like charter schools or private schools and we're going to leave the more marginalized groups alone in public schools and now our whole education system is pretty much going to be that new neo-segregation uh, aspect that we're talking about here. A lot of things happening in the educational world, as it always does. Mm -hmm. So as much as I would love for us to continue this, I know that you both, who are very, very uh, esteemed professors, and I appreciate you both immensely. Uh, I know you have lives and you need things that you need to go do and, and what have you. So we're going to wrap this up, this episode. So that's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Dr. Haddad. Thank you, Dr. Ryan. Uh, thanks for listening, folks. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you discover our show. That's all for now, but I'll see you in the next episode of Transformative Talk. Bye. Bye, everybody.